So how many of us here have never desired a good friend, a true friend? At any point in your life, you've never desired it. I don't see any hands raised. That's good because I was going to say, if anyone raised their hand, I was going to call NASA and I was going to have a meeting with you afterwards and we were going to send you back to Mars where you belong because you're not human. The truth is, is if we're human, we desire friendship. God created us to desire friendship. If you look with me at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. When I read that verse, for some of us, it brings grief to us because we've lost friends. We've lost loved ones. And, it, and we feel the loneliness and we feel the hurt from it. But the truth is, is that's good grief. In this same passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes, it tells us that there's a time to grieve. There's an appropriate time to grieve. When we lose someone we love, when we feel alone, that's an appropriate time to grieve. But it's not a time to give up. Because we were created for friendship, and friendship is something that we should continually pursue. What is it about friendship? Why is it that God created us for friendship? It's not just for our own comfort. It's not just for our own desires. It's why we let go of grief when, when we have loss. Eventually we need to heal and we need to start again. But why do we need to re-engage? Why is it that God calls us to consistently engage in friendship? It says that two are better than one because two have a good return for their work. You know the word synergy? The word synergy, you know what it means? Here's a definition for the word synergy. The working together of two things, muscles for example, to produce an effect greater than the sum of their individual effects. When two things come and work together, what they're able to accomplish is more than just what each of their effects would be put together. Let me give you an example. If you were doing a math, uh, if there was a math problem that you were trying to solve and it was a word problem and it said this, two horses, two horses can pull 9,000 pounds. How many pounds can four horses pull? What would you answer to the math problem? 18,000. That makes sense. In a math problem, that'd be right. In real life, that'd be wrong. Because what they say is, is that two horses can pull up to 9,000 pounds, but four horses can pull up to 30,000 pounds. Because what happens is, is when those horses get together, they unlock in one another a deeper strength. You know how our muscles only function at a quarter of their capacity? And we actually have so much more strength in our muscles, we just don't know how to unlock it because our minds won't let us get past it. Those of you who are at the men's uh, dinner last year saw Slim the Hammer Man come, Tracy Minnick's dad, and this guy, he's not some big bodybuilder looking guy. He's 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 big guy, but he's not looking like a big bodybuilder, but this guy can outlift any bodybuilder because of his strength. And what he said is, is because he trained his mind to overcome the pain that stops most people, mind over matter. 
We have an ability to, there's strength within us that we are unaware of. There's strength within us that can be unlocked. And when we work in partnership, we have an ability to expand our capacity to use that strength. And that's why we say there's, there's, there's strength in numbers. When there's a group of people going after something, we find the energy around something begins to expand. That's called synergy. And what we're told is, is that we are required to have friendships. God desires for us to have friendships. He created us to have friendships because he wants to unlock within us the strength to pursue him in the way that we are called to pursue him. Ephesians 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 4. And I want to read verses 14 to 16. Speaking of the church coming together, speaking of people being in unity with one another, Paul says this in verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, what he's saying here is that we are all parts of one body and we all have the ability to do stuff, but when we come together, we begin to build each other up into what we're supposed to be. Now, what is it that connects us to one another? If, if my muscle on my forearm can lift a certain amount of weight and my bicep here can lift a certain amount of weight, together they can lift way more weight than we would think because the synergy between those muscles allows something special to happen. But connecting this muscle to this muscle, there's something in here that connects it. What connects it? the tendons, the ligaments, the joint. And what Paul says in this scripture is that they're joined, the parts of the body are joined and held together by every supporting ligament. That's what he says. He explains that the parts of the body are you and I, and that the head is Jesus. But he says they're held together by supporting ligaments. What are the ligaments that hold us to one another? Relationships. Relationships are what connect us. And that's why we're in this series about relationships. Relationships go through a massive amount of strain because as the body works, you're straining those ligaments that are holding everything together. This muscle's firing this way and this one's firing this way. And the thing that makes it work together is the, is the ligament, the relationship. You're doing this thing over here in the body and you're doing this thing over here in the body and I'm doing this thing over here. And what keeps it all headed in the direction that Christ wants it to go is the relationships that we have. And they take a lot of strain. And they need nurturing. And they need to be taken care of. And we need to make sure that they're on track. We need to make sure we get them right. Or else we won't be able to function at capacity. And we won't be able to see the synergy of God's kingdom, God's body working together. In this Ecclesiastes passage, as we look back in that Ecclesiastes passage, it ends with saying, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A cord of three strands. Well, if you have two pieces of line and you put a certain amount of weight on them, 
they'll carry a certain amount. You twist that thing, and it doesn't make a whole lot of difference, but if you get three strands and you braid that and make it into a rope, all of a sudden there's a whole lot of strength in that rope, right? And in our friendships, you try to live life the way you should, and you can do so much. You have another person next to you, and, and she's trying to live life the way she should. And we try to hang together, and it's okay, and you know we work at it together, but what we're seeing here is that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. In other words, the friendship that is interwoven with the Spirit of the living God among us gives us a strength that is absolutely unparalleled. Friendships are good when friendships recognize that they do not stand in isolation and they're not there for us just to comfort one another. Friendships exist to go after God. That's why they exist. In the body of Christ, he's the head. We're joined and held together by the supporting ligaments, but all for one purpose, to grow and build itself up into the head. And so when it comes to our relationships, and when it comes to our friendships, we recognize, we understand that those friendships will be effective. Those friendships will be good. Those friendships will be positive if they are based on Christ. I've heard this verse misquoted. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered... In my name, there I am in the midst. Oftentimes what happens with this passage is you'll hear people say, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. And it misses the most important part. Where two or three are gathered, in my name. I mean, when Hitler and Stalin got together, was Jesus there in the midst? Where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst. No, when two or three are gathered, in my name, there I am in the midst. Friendships, just by getting together, don't make us strong. Just having other people, as a matter of fact, friendships that are not based on Christ, they take us the other way. Things can get really ugly. As a matter of fact, in, in Corinthians it says that bad company corrupts good character. If I have a workout partner, and I do, if I have a workout partner who I go to the gym with and I lift with, and he's a guy who uh, you know, decides that he really doesn't like to see me in pain, so anytime it gets tough, he's like, you know what, just set it down, I got it. You know, that's not the kind of workout partner I'm looking for, right? That's counterproductive. And so I can have a friendship, and if all the friendship cares about is my comfort, then it's not a friendship that's productive or helpful. We're partners on a journey together to pursue Christ. And if I have a friend who sees me hurting and doesn't tell me, hey, look, you've got to get yourself lined up with God right now. And you've got to get yourself on the right track. If my friends aren't friends who are doing that, then they're, they're not productive. If what we do is, is we allow ourselves to, to sink a little bit deeper, to pity each other, and to allow our, our communication to go to a level of griping, complaining, those types of things, it's, it's not helping. It's not helpful. What is the definition of a true friend, a good friend? Ephesians, back in Ephesians to the next chapter of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, we get a real definition from God about what true friendship is about. I'm going to have you stand again as we read this one. Ephesians 5, 1 to 20. <clears throat> Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must, not even, there must not be even a hint 
of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Listen to this verse. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Verse 8, for, one, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have a seat. This is the picture of friendship in the body of Christ. I love the way this passage ends, where it says, don't get drunk on wine. You know, and it says over here, you know, don't get drunk on wine. And then it says over here, Instead, be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you walk into a room and there's people singing to each other and they're carrying on and laughing and they're singing at each other and having a good time and speaking to one another in poems and stuff, they're drunk. They're drunk. They're either drunk literally or they're drunk in the Spirit, you know? And what he's doing is he's juxtaposing. And he's saying, over here, you know, when life is down and when it's rough and all of this, you can go and turn to this stuff. And it's a friend comforting a friend by, by the liquor. Or there's, on this side, there's this sense of like, what we really want is we want to go after God. And we push each other toward God. And there's a sense that what our friendships are really all about is about the constant sense of we're encouraging and exhorting one another to grow closer to God. But before we get there in that passage, it comes back over here, and it says, hate what is evil. And I think in this moment, it's, it's, it's a time for us to ask ourselves that question. Do we really hate what's evil? I mean, of course we hate when Osama bin Laden runs planes into the towers in New York. It's a no-brainer. Everyone hates it. But do we hate it when that thing comes on TV that's a little bit questionable? Do we hate it when that joke was told with my friend that's really funny but inappropriate? You know? Do we hate it when that thought comes into my mind that, man, they have that nice car and I wish it kind of, you know, or whatever it is. That stuff's the evil stuff. Do we hate it? And what he tells us is the baseline for friendship here is that friendship is the thing that exhorts us to hate evil 
and to desire good. But there's a whole other kind of friendship. And it's the kind of friendship that doesn't necessarily pull us with everything inside of it to go toward evil. It just desensitizes us to evil. It says, do not be partners with them. It sounds kind of harsh when God says, do not be partners with, with those who are living in a different framework, in a different paradigm. But what ends up happening is, is when the ligament gets attached to another part, uh, another person, and they're going one direction and I'm going another direction, after a while that push and pull, it desensitizes us to evil. And it's not that, that you know, a person who has a different value system than us is trying to get us to do wrong necessarily. It's that we become desensitized to the evil around us because they're okay with it. And because of that, after a while, it's like, yeah, well, that's just my friend. And, well, that's just my friend's behavior. And, and we don't, we're not being pushed toward God. We don't have that person in the weight room who's saying, come on, come on, let's go, you know. Get your attitude right. Don't say that. When you're hurt, don't say that. When you're angry, don't think that. And, and, and those are the things that when we have a positive friendship, a partner, we're called to move into. There's missional thinking that says we're to be connected in the world but not of it, and we're to build friendships so that we can bless those around us. And that's a very good thought. It's also a very big deception that hits people all the time, where they'll, they'll get into relationships and they'll say that the reason they're in the relationship is because they want to influence that person with the love of God, when in actuality... Influencing someone who's at a different place with the love of God is actually a really difficult task and it should be actually pretty painful for us because we're, we're having to go and serve. But oftentimes we use the missional thinking as a mindset to say, I don't really feel like drawing a hard line here and so I'm the one who's influencing them. But really what's happening is we're being desensitized to the lines that God draws for us. This is kind of a tough word. But... The reason to give it is because as a pastor here, I, I, it's just like a parent who's looking at their kid and is saying, man, I want my kid to do really well. And the friends they hang out with, it's going to make a huge difference. And God says to his people Israel, when they come into the promised land, do not partner with the neighboring countries because they worship the wrong God. And any time that they broke that command of God, things went bad. Every time, things went bad. It's not that we're not allowed to associate with people who don't have the same belief system. We're supposed to love them and influence them and all of that. But the primary friendships of our life where we invest soul to soul, heart to heart, we're to put time and energy and effort into the relationships. We are workout partners in the kingdom of God. And that's what we are called to. That's what we're called to. The story that we read about, we're running out of time rapidly here, the story that we read about in, uh, in Second Chronicles before Matt talked was the story of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is, this guy grew up in the lap of luxury. I mean, his dad was Solomon, you know? His dad was like the wisest man to ever live. He was heir to the throne. Think about a cooler environment to grow up in than the son of Solomon. I mean, this guy had a kingdom like no other kingdom. This guy grew up in the lap of luxury, had everything working for him. 
It was all there. The only problem is, is while his dad was the wisest man in his mind, he began to live in ways that were foolish. And you remember how Josh talked about last week when Abraham took his son and laid him on an altar. And when God told him to give up his son, the way that we understand family relationships is, is that you clear the stage of everything else, like we said when we were lining up our loves. You clear the stage of all the other relationships. You put God front and center, up on the pedestal, and no other relationships compare. And when we enter into our other relationships, already having that in place, it allows us to function in those relationships the way we should. And so when Abraham was called by God to release his son, he puts him on the altar and he does whatever it is that God wants him to do. And God stops him. Solomon does not do this. Solomon begins to live selfishly. And he begins to, to think that his own, he receives from other places instead of receiving from God. And because of that, he takes advantage of relationships instead of investing positively into relationships. Rehoboam grew up watching his father do this. Now what ends up happening is, is it's his turn to take the throne. And it's his turn to decide where he's going to go, you know, and what he's going to do. The people come to him, albeit with some mixed motives, and they say, look, Rehoboam, your dad, he had these phenomenal gardens and he built this amazing palace and everything, but he did it off the sweat of our back. And we're a little bit sick and tired of all of that. Why don't you lay off a little bit? Cut us a break. Rehoboam's scratching his head and he goes to his father's elders. Now imagine, who can advise Solomon? You know, the wisest man in his mind. I mean, he's a political genius, you know. And his advisors must have been pretty good. You know, they must have been pretty good advisors. And so Rehoboam goes to them and he says, hey, what do you think I should do? And they're like, look, Rehoboam, use your head for a second. Throw the, throw the people a bone. Be nice to them. And if you do, they're going to love you. And they're going to serve you for a long time. And he's like, yeah, that's one way to do it. And then he goes to his Harvard frat boys, you know, who he grew up with. And he, he says, what do you guys think? And they're like, man, don't let these people think that you're less than your dad. Like, think about your ego. Think about what you look like to them. You've got to show them who's the boss, man. Step it up. Tell them that if they're worried about what your dad did, you're about to throttle them, you know. And so he does. And that's the wisdom he takes. And what we're told is that, he doesn't listen to the people. The end result is, is he doesn't listen. He stops listening. They deafen him. He surrounded himself by a group of people who help him not to listen, not to help, not to be loving, but instead to puff him up, to make him big and strong. People who just wanted to, to stroke him and make him feel good about himself instead of telling him what's actually right. Unfortunately, he didn't listen to the advice of his follower, father. He followed more in his father's example than he'd listened to his father's advice. See, his father, even though he lived foolishly, had some pretty sound advice. In the book of Proverbs, his dad, Solomon, writes this. A man of many, and writes this to Rehoboam, writes this to his son. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You can listen to all the voices of your buddies and be real popular. But there's one who will tell you the right thing. Proverbs 27:17, again, speaking to his son. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This isn't a cloth that sharpens the iron. It grates. True friendships, sparks fly. In the gym, when I'm trying to lift, 
My buddy's like yelling at me to tell me to lift more. You know, when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to partners for the journey, it's not an easy thing. We push each other. And sometimes we grate against each other's souls and psyches because we want the best in the other person. And this is the advice that Solomon gave to his son Rehoboam. Rehoboam obviously didn't listen to it. He found friends who would tell him what he wanted to hear in order to make him feel good instead of friends who would tell him the truth. And when he surrounded himself with the wrong friends, it ended up, what happened, the end result, was that the whole nation was disunified. This was the beginning of the divided kingdom of Israel. Instead of the body coming together and all the ligaments working, the ligaments were severed and the body separated. And everything went bad. Now, the reason Solomon knew the principles of friendship is because his dad had showed him the principles of friendship. Solomon's dad had a much different way of showing friendship. You see, Solomon's dad, of course, was King David. And he had perhaps one of the most famous friends to ever live. Another young man who grew up in the lap of luxury, who was heir to the throne, who was the one who was in line to receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise from the people. His dad also dropped the ball. And his dad also didn't honor God. But it didn't matter because Jonathan decided that he was still going to serve God despite what his father did. And he begins to live in a way that's profound. He decides that he's going to care more about the kingdom and more about God than about his own throne. And he lives in a way that's completely selfless. And when David starts to get the chant from the people that says Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands, who had the right to be more angry and have more animosity and more jealousy in his heart than Jonathan, the heir to the throne who's being trumped by this young little shepherd boy, David? And yet Jonathan decides, he's probably heard, Samuel anointed this guy to be king. God has a plan. And if I want to see the best for the kingdom of God, then I need to figure out how to support this man. And so Jonathan takes all of his efforts and he figures out how to make David succeed, the guy who's going to take his place. Talk about a real friend. He lets go of his own comforts. He doesn't always tell David what he wants to hear. As a matter of fact, he tells David to leave when he needs to. But the truth is, is that this is a friend who, because of his friendship, establishes the unified kingdom, the era of the kingdom of Israel, that we look back on as the precursor to the kingdom of Jesus. So the real question for us today, at the end of it, is do we have friendships that resemble Jonathan and David, or Rehoboam and his frat boys? It's a real question. Do my friends tell me what I want to hear? When I'm off a little bit, do they hold me to it? Do they push me further? Or do they just kind of give me some self-pity and tell me it's okay? When, when I'm trying to get more, more strength out of those muscles in the kingdom of God, do they push me? Do they encourage me? I want to encourage us to go after friendships in ways that we never have before to build relationships in ways that we never have before. And the truth is, in order to do that, we have to get honest, we have to get real with one another, we have to spend time together. 
We have to speak about what's going on in our lives and in, in our walks with God. The truth is, is we all need friends. But the bigger truth is, is that we all need to be friends. To be good friends. You see, this is love, not that we have loved him, but that he has loved us. He fills us up with love if we will go to him. And out of the overflow, we should be pouring into the lives of others. There's a couple things coming up that I want to encourage you about. One is that uh, we're going to have journey groups coming up. They're going to be in a, in, in a few uh, weeks. You'll start hearing about uh, these uh, opportunities that we're going to have to get together and study the Word together. And, and, and I'd encourage you to come and be a part of these journey groups. They're going to be midweek studies where we come and go after the Word of God for a certain period of time around a certain topic. This is a place where you can create and cultivate relationships that are going after the Scriptures and going after God together. I'd encourage you to be a part of that. The second thing is, is I talked to a, a local uh, business owner. Have you ever, uh, in, in Royersford, um, you know where Amelia's uh, grocery store is there across from the McDonald's uh, and where the Dairy Queen is in that shopping center, there's a, a new coffee shop there. It's called Saxby's. And uh, I talked to the, the owner of Saxby's and I said, hey, we're having this relationship series at our church. And I'm hoping that a people of our church will work at, at nurturing the relationships. Building the ligaments. I don't think I said building the ligaments, but I said nurturing their relationships. And I said, I really hope that, that they'll come to your coffee shop and sit down and have a cup of coffee together and share each other's story and encourage one another. What do you think? Can you help us out with that? And he said, sure. So he made up a bunch of coupons for us. Buy one, get one free. Come over to Saxby's. And, you know, it's a win-win. He gets, you know, people coming and checking out his coffee shop. And we get a place to come and, and invite a friend to go out to coffee with us and to say, hey, what's going on in your walk with God? And so I'm going to have these out on the welcome table out there and grab one. Grab one if you're willing to grab a friend and go and have a cup of coffee and share your story about what's going on and ask them what's going on in their life and how you can encourage. We need one another in the kingdom of God in order to be effective at what he's called us to do. We need relationships that will push each other forward so that we can all grow up into the head of Christ. We need it. Josh and I came to be pastors here together because we believe in the depths of us that we need it. As the apostles were sent out two by two, we believe that we are most effective when we work in partnership with other people. We need to form positive partnerships. And sometimes we need to let go of negative ones. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would bless us uh, and, and that you would bless your kingdom. You would bless your body as, uh, as we seek to be uh, effective at what it is that you've called us to. We thank you for relationships. We thank you for friendships. And we ask that, God, at Parker Ford Church, that there would be an abundance of friendships that are not just patting each other on the back, but are also pushing each other. Mirrors, holding up the truth to one another. We ask, God, that all across our church, we would see friendships that resemble David and Jonathan for the kingdom, for the good of the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.